2: Hello, this is Bruce Daisley. This is Eat, Sleep, Work, Repeat. Thank you for listening. It's a podcast about making work better. I think it's like episode 104, something like that. Incredible. If you do want to make work better, please go and sign up the website. Go to Eat, Sleep, Work, Repeat, and there's a link at the very top left of the homepage. The newsletter generally comes out on Tuesdays and gives you the latest of what you might have missed. And I've got some great episodes of the podcast coming up. I've spoken to Anne Helen Peterson. You might remember her. She she wrote a really fabulous breakout article about burnout last year. And I saw that she had a book forthcoming about that and contacted her. So hopefully that'll be the first interview you hear with her before the book comes out later this month. Then I'm really obsessed right now with the arrival of community managers at workplaces. I think this is the trend to watch. And I've spoken to two of the main experts on this, two people who can teach us lots about this. And uh, it's a great interview because it didn't go exactly the way I expected. On with today, one of my favourite episodes in the the back catalogue of Eat, Sleep, Work, Repeat was with Ben Wabba from Human Eyes. And they track data of workplace interactions in offices, in workplace communication tools, everything. At the time, Ben was talking about these workplace people meet as they had, these badges. But in today's episode, he's talking about these, these plugins they've got that actually look into who's meeting with who, who's emailing with who. Fascinating. If you've been following the newsletter, we've seen evidence and data from Microsoft that said on average that workers are working, clocking up an additional 45 minutes a day of work and have been dipping their lunchtime. They haven't been having much for lunchtime. And I guess there's some really interesting things that might come from that. That might be people who've got kids at home, so they're not having a lunch break, a typical lunch break, but they're sort of breaking their lunch break into little pieces. Who knows? Anyway, so I was intrigued what humanized data is saying. Now, to formally introduce him, this is Ben Wabba. He's the co-founder and president of Humanize. And you can see more on him and a recent article that he's written in the show notes. Ben was interested in how communication in offices is changing.
3: We'd seen things pre-pandemic, like I could say that an average employee has about 2.9 close collaborators. So people you spend on average hour or more equivalent of like one-on-one interaction with that person. And that was a very stable number. You start to see these numbers shift dramatically in the span of weeks, which hadn't happened in years. You're really able to then start to see what is the impact of things of the pandemic specifically. Um, but then also, as you look at work from home, how is that changing things? It, it is interesting, at least for us, to look at and to, to really see, you know, how is the health of organizations really changing as a result of these decisions that companies are making?
2: Okay, that's interesting. People are trying to connect with more people, but weak connections seem to be falling off a cliff. What you started to see was really the this,
3: this sorting of relationship as people started to work from home. If you looked at weaker connections that people have, Let's say people you spend again less than an hour with one-on-one a week, but more than say 15 minutes one-on-one a week. Um and a good way to think about that, like lower barrier, is that would be a person that you were in a meeting with, you know, once a week for an hour, but with, you know, in a four-person meeting, right? So it's not like you're just meeting with this person. Some of those relationships are elevated. And what that meant is you these are people you still need to communicate with to do your job. And of course, now you're not in the office, you're not going to casually bump into these people, you're not going to, through osmosis, hear what people are doing, you have to intentionally schedule meetings and conversations and have you know, emails and chats with those people. That in communication activity increased pretty dramatically. These close connections go up from you know, about 2.9 people um, to over six. On the other hand, when you saw relationships that are at the lower end of that spectrum and then even weaker ties, people that you spend you know less than 15 minutes a week with, those really fell off a cliff. And, and that's because you know, our hypothesis is that these are people that you don't need to communicate with to do your job right now. In that, for the project I'm working on right now, these people are not critical. You know, and maybe it's the person who I bump into by the coffee machine once every two weeks or something. You're not going to schedule some Zoom call with them because you don't really have a good reason to talk to them, but you might have done that in person. And the important thing is there, of course, in terms of the medium the long-term implications, that's where I get really concerned about what we see there. Again, near-term performance, all this communication is necessary and, and really indicates we probably won't see a lot of near-term effects, but then in terms of my, like missing milestones, in terms of innovation, in terms of um, even just developing poor quality you know, products and services, that's what I really think um, we're going to see, um, frankly, over the next year plus. And you could argue we're even starting to see some of that. And I think a lot of us are maybe writing that off as, oh, it's because supply chains are messed up. It's because people have financial constraints. And it's not to say that's entirely false, but I think this is going to have an outsized effect moving forward.
2: Maybe this is the dichotomy. A lot of people feel that their own performance is better, but that their team isn't in a good place.
3: I think it's interesting that when you even interview or survey people, about their performance. And this is, you know, in the recent uh, HBR piece that I was co-author of, a number of my other co-authors actually did this work where they've got, um, at this point, weekly surveys of people across the U.S. Essentially, frontline employees feel as or more productive than they were previously. But then when you look and when you ask uh, people in management roles uh, or in executive roles, they really answer that they feel that the teams are a lot less productive. And I think this gets the difference of our individual view and then like sort of the macro collaboration view. And again, this comes down to behavioral data as well. I think a lot of us feel I am more productive when I bang out re- more reports, when I answer more emails. And again, we're still able to do that. I don't really need tons of other people to do that work. Again, the question is, I'm actually doing the right work. You know, it could be that me having a 15-minute conversation with a coworker means that I do something different for this project, and then it saves me 20% of work later on. But again, me as an individual, I don't see that. And it's these more structural issues that are coming up. And this idea that if you're tasking me to come up with a new idea, well, if I'm only talking to the people who are in my close work group, even if I ask their opinion on some idea I have, we all drink the same Kool-Aid. We are in a very strong group. We're actually thinking pretty much the same thing. This is long-running phenomenon of groupthink, and and that's going to be accelerated here. You know, on the other hand, me occasionally talking to people in other parts of the organization, in other social groups, that's where you get you know really groundbreaking ideas. And there's decades of research on this. And again, those are things that are very hard to do remotely, and it's something we've seen historically with remote workers, and you still see it today, um, which is, it, it's just slightly less extent than you saw previously, and the thoughts about maybe why that is, but it's still quite significantly there. A lot of us have also personally experienced this. You see things like the workday is longer for everybody. It's significantly longer, actually. And, and you can measure that by looking at, you know, when is your you first answer an email, when you last answer an email? When do you have meetings scheduled? Um, and that's up across the board. Um, again, I think we understand there's, over time, of course, there have been less and less of a clear dividing line between work and home life, but that has just been obliterated. And for some people, that's not necessarily a bad thing. In the past, I could draw a straight line between that kind of behavior and think like of turnover, stress, all sorts of things like that. It's unclear what the exact correlation is now because, again, I have, for example, you know, two young kids and I have to do stuff with them during the day. So it's actually easier for me to even do a call at 9.30 p.m. uh, after I put them to bed than it would be at 4 p.m. And so it's actually, that's better for me. It's actually less stressful for me to do that. You know, at the same time, um, you know, for other people, it means, uh, you know, who maybe you don't have kids or your kids are more social than mine, uh, again, can be extremely stressful to be literally always on um, and not really being able to unplug, unplug because there are just no boundaries there. Um, And this is in addition to looking at things like just the cadence of when people communicate that, again, even in the past, you'd see larger chunks of time where people weren't you know, answering or interrupted by an email. Like, again, you might, maybe you get home, got home previously at six o'clock and maybe you'll check your email before, before bed or something, which you probably shouldn't do. But if you did do that, you probably still had a good chunk of time for a couple hours where you didn't do that. And that appears to be less and less the case right now, um, which again is going to relate to higher stress and, um, Um, Actually, even just lower performance for for everybody. So these aren't good things. Um, I think they're understandable, like why they're happening. But that it really is incumbent on um, not just individuals, but especially companies and leadership to really model the behaviors they want. And to say, you know, I am not going to send you an email at 11 p.m. I'm not going to schedule a call at 6 a.m. You know, just because it, it might be convenient for me. It really is like that. Those signals are the only thing we have now. It's no longer I'm going to an office and I see people do things. It's literally just, you know, when do these conversations happen or when do they get scheduled?
2: I think Ben highlights the challenges here because we're trying to accommodate our multiple hats. A lot of us have been willing to work in the evenings if it means that we can keep the household happy during the day. Ben articulated the challenges even of making diagnoses from the data right now. We've never had to deal with changes like this. So if we're gonna change things. We, and then we make conclusions. We're not gonna make progress.
3: Even with our analytics, we can say, you know, here's what's happening today, here's where you know the, the problem areas are, here are some likely fixes, but you don't know if they're gonna work. It could be that you move two groups back into an office because they need to collaborate more, and historically they would collaborate in office, but maybe you know, because they need to be two meters apart, because you change the layout of the office to make it safer, that actually moving back in doesn't change how they collaborate. And what we are seeing is that rather than continuing to do that for months, companies literally in a span of a week, once they see those metrics, nope, they didn't change, we're moving in a different group. Right? We're trying something else. And I, I think that that is really important, um, obviously right now, um, but also really important in the future, just like that is a better way to do things, at least in my opinion.
2: Next, I spoke to Bushan Seti. He's an alien. He's a legal alien. He's an Englishman in New York. Bushan works at PwC. He works with huge client companies trying to navigate the world that we see right now. And if anything, he's going to give you that big establishment corporate voice. How are corporates dealing with this? So, really interesting take. I wanted to know how. They're thinking about big changes. And you'll see why I say he's a, an establishment voice. I don't mean that in any pejorative sense, but you'll hear later on I ask him whether this is going to set in process an opportunity to start off, offshoring admin jobs. And I think you'll notice you'll get a very straight bat deflection on that one. He might have even mentioned purpose there for those keeping count. So a really interesting and intriguing perspective. Is Bouchan Shetty. I wonder if you could kick us off by just introducing who you are and what you do.
1: Hi, I'm Bushan Seti. I uh, co-leader people and organization practice. I work with lots of different companies around the world, helping them design and implement different aspects of their workforce strategy.
2: What would that normally look like before lockdown? What sort of things were firms asking you to help with?
1: So in plain English, as companies are looking to digitize and put in new technology, both to, to interact with their customers, both to provide tools to their people, it would be that kind of work they will be helping companies think about, as they want to implement a new strategy, do they have the right skills in place? Do they have the right culture in place? Do they have the right HR programs in place? They're really helping companies design and implement that work. And it's interesting you mentioned lockdown because much of that work is still the same. I'm just doing it from my apartment, <laughs> like like I'm talking to you today. So, um
2: when, you, when you're sort of looking at this, I guess you've got two hats Then, then. It's, it's what you guys are advising clients and then what you're doing yourselves. It's sort of an interesting dual perspective. I wonder if you could give us a perspective. How are PwC viewing the return to work and a new normal?
1: First of all, it's different in different countries. In the UK, you know, our office in London is already open. With all the physical distancing and the safety requirements, that is consistent with a number of businesses in in the UK. I know our Australian offices opened. In the US, we haven't opened any offices and we don't have any plans to. And what we're doing is we're looking at local guidance in in the state and and the federal level. And what we're really saying is we're not going to open until we're really comfortable. And in the meantime, given that our work with our clients can continue because of the investment in digital tools. And that way of working, we continue the work we do, whether that's audit work, consulting work, tax work. We can do a lot of that and interact with clients, similar to a large amount of the rest of the U.S. workforce. We can do that through the digital channels. What have firms been bringing you? What challenges have they been bringing? One of the things that at the start of the pandemic, it was all about how do we work effectively in a remote environment? How do we manage the cybersecurity constraints around that? How do we manage people's safety? How do we deal with the barking dogs and the children? That is really, now this pandemic is a lot longer for a lot of people around the world and a lot of businesses where they don't need to are saying people should work from home at least the majority of the time. What it's now really focused on is how do we actually get work done in a most effective way, but also not just focusing on productivity and producing more reports, booking more loans, delivering um, you know more kinds of services. But how do we actually um, factor in the well-being aspects? How do we build in breaks and recovery? And how do we build in the collegiality and the need to collaborate and spend time with colleagues? Because I think we're all craving that, um, not being in the office. We're craving the social aspects of why we all like to interact with
2: people. So so what's the answer? You've posed those wonderful questions. How do we bring a degree of collegiality when we're all working remotely via screens?
1: I think the first thing we need to do is understand that this thing will end at some point in time. We will get through this economically. We'll get through this from a health perspective and we'll get through this from a societal perspective. And there will be a time when we will be back in offices. The offices will look different. Um, We may not be going back to the offices full time. One of the surveys we did uh, where we polled people, they said after the pandemic, people want to work at least two days um, from home. So the patterns will be different, but we've got to kind of remember that we are not going to be 100% working from home if we don't want to. And the other things are some of the basics of how you lead teams, how you engage engage with colleagues. At the start of this conversation, you and I both swapped that we're, um, we're from England. We're surrounded by 4,000 miles, but we exchanged kind of um, a get-to-know-you pleasantry there, got to remember the basics of habits of getting to know people checking in asking how people are doing because everyone from the ceo down to the janitor is struggling right now with this for for various reasons
2: yeah absolutely have you have you been inspired by anything that you've seen someone doing or you know the, the approaches that some organizations have taken
1: Yes, I'd say a couple of things. I'd say at the start of the pandemic, so I live in New York City, and the whole world was watching New York as the epicenter, I was incredibly impressed by the leadership skills and the humility of of our governor, the daily briefings, the use of data, the surrounding himself by experts, trying to depoliticize this piece, and really staying the course. And I think that is a good recipe for a lot of business leaders on how you need to manage your businesses. Now and post-pandemic, um, bring the right experts in. Think about your business. Think about the scenarios that that that. How do you actually get restaurants back to work? How do you think about delivering um, di- solutions via digital channels if you're a bank? But having that humility, surrounding yourself with experts, saying the saying the basic words, "I don't know," um, and being comfortable that way, and bringing people around you, and staying the course to execute whatever plan you're going to have, and and we all know, Bruce, that, that plans these days need to be very agile, whether it's when are we getting back to work, when are we getting back inside football stadiums, when are we getting on planes? No one really knows the future of that. But I think leadership in this type of uncertainty is a critical attribute.
2: Yeah. Have you been surprised by any of the challenges that organisations have shared with you? I, I guess a lot of organisations were probably impressed with their own adaptability, probably way more than they expected.
1: Yeah, I think firms were pleasantly surprised by their ability to work remotely. The banks were comfortable with how trading was done. I also think there's a lot of pleasant surprises. The fact that we care about our health and we can talk about mental health and physical health together. The fact that we've spent time with our families, the fact that the technology allows us to communicate with friends from around the world. There's some pleasantness around this.
2: And I guess a lot of organisations are thinking, well, we've, we're sort of hatching a plan and we're working things out. We want to try and project a degree of certainty to our teams about when the new equilibrium will be restored. What's the advice that you're giving to organisations when it comes to that?
1: I would say you've got to rip that plan up. If you're looking for certainty, this is not this is not the economic time. It sure as hell is not the geopolitical time. Um, and it's, it's not that it's not it, what our clients are now doing is to say, how do we plan in 6 to 12 month increments, whether it's how do we need to think about new products, new clients, new revenue streams, managing the safety and well-being of our people? And how do we be, be very frugal with our investments around anything that's, that feels discretionary? Our plan is important. But so much more, the health factors, the business factors, the societal factors are going to be a critical part of that.
2: Tell me this, a firm's being candid with you and thinking that, well, we've all accepted that work can be done remotely. Then the next step is thinking, rather than having people in expensive countries doing that work remotely, we can get people anywhere doing that work. A firm's already starting to go through that thought process?
1: Different companies have got to do what's right for them and their balance sheet. So, if you're a small, medium business that that needs to think about payroll, you've got to be thinking about everything you can do to manage your costs and expenses. Um, I think for those companies that have the ability to to look through this into maybe the next year, what they're trying what they're trying to do, a number are trying to do is to say we have a purpose, we have a commitment to our community community communicate, it could be London, it could be New York, it could be Hong Kong, wherever it is, and to say it's imperative that we actually get back to the workplace, that we don't divest of expensive corporate real estate, that we provide jobs not just to, to our people, but think about all of the ancillary businesses that are, that, you know, healthcare, dry cleaners, um, gyms, entertainment, that any business in any country can, can influence. So I do think that a lot of our clients are taking a purpose driven view. We at PwC made a commitment to make layoffs as a last resort. We've actually taken pay cuts at the partner level to fund some of that with frozen pay rises for, for many of our staff too. So I think we're trying to take a longer term view, but different businesses have different strengths in their balance sheets and different access to, to credit and liquidity. So it's it's gonna be different for different sectors.
2: I saw in the UK, Barclays Bank, who had initially said that they were going to tell their workers they no longer needed to come into the same office every day, now said, oh, we need to think about the buildings, the the businesses around us. And we're reversing that. And it seemed like, wow, it seemed like such an incredible U-turn that it's hard to quite work out if what we're seeing is what we're being told.
1: Yeah, and and that's a challenge with reputations can be broken within, you know, twenty-four hours these days and with social media. So I mean this pandemic is going to put a real strain on that word that we just talked about purpose. So if your purpose is to protect and maintain the health and safety, of your purpose is to drive better employability in your community, the minute that you're making a U-turn on a policy such as return to work or making Big layoffs without a reskilling plan, or in an inhumane way, like on a Zoom calls, consumers are going to call you out. Stakeholders are going to call you out, and that's 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 why it's it's really important for firms to be transparent around the state of their business, um, how they're making decisions, engaging a broad range of stakeholders, and make sure that there isn't a do as I say and not as I do type of um, mindset from leaders or or, or policy within a firm.
2: I guess when you came into this practice of helping firms design these things, you could never have anticipated such a degree of disruption in just a matter of months.
1: Absolutely. I mean, my, my life used to be travel, sometimes international, many times domestically, go spend time with clients, um, go speak at conferences. Um, I'm doing that in the same way I'm doing that with you now, sitting in my apartment building, looking out, looking out the window. But I do think it's important, especially for people who haven't been working during prior recession, we will get through this this crisis. What we need to make sure is that we're really focusing on a get people back to work strategy, focus on reskilling those businesses that can like, make, make every effort to keep people in work. And obviously, you can't do any of this without aligning with your government, whether it's state, local, or different governments in different jurisdictions. It's really a time for business and government to come together. And the the challenge is, in an election year in the US and in different parts of the country, we look at things through very divisive, polarized lenses. And I think it's important for the business community to kind of look a a bit further ahead beyond just election cycles. I'm not missing travel one bit um, in terms of business travel and getting on planes. I never really thought I would say that. Um, I do miss going back to the physical office and I do miss travel for vacation. But on a personal level, the business travel, I'm, you know, that's one good thing out of this. And, And I never thought I would say that because I was a bit of a road warrior, like a number of people in my profession.
0: Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well,
3: For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com.
2: Thank you. I've been really thrilled with the feedback from the previous two episodes of this. So thank you for listening to this. If you haven't listened to all of the recent ones, I think the episode with David de with Anthony Slumbers. They all start helping us piece together exactly what work's going to look like. As ever, I'd say the newsletter is probably the best place. If your firm's trying to work out how you get to grips with these things, the newsletter is going to be the best way to help you. Like I say, that's on the website. Thank you so much. Always love the incredible feedback I get. I'll see you next time.